Turn, we've turned to Psalm 19, and right here on the first day of the new year, I want us as a church to realize that communion in very large part with God is through His Word. Look at Psalm 19. Verses 1 to 6 present a God who created the heavens and the earth. We're not going to read that portion. That talks about a general revelation. It talks about God. The word, the Hebrew word is El. He's the Almighty One, the Creator. But there's going to be a shift then in verse 7. I want you to look at Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the... And now he doesn't use the word God, but he uses the word Lord. Yahweh. Self-sufficient, eternal, but personal God. This is the self-revelation of who He is. And what He's going to do, the psalmist is now going to unfold for us the value and benefit of God's Word. So as we look at this, this is the commitment I'm going to appeal to you to make today. As Paul says in Colossians 3.16, to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. To give it a luxurious, to give it a lavish dwelling place in your heart. Just take a moment and consider 2016, a year that's already in the rearview mirror. How would you describe the dwelling place God's Word had in your life? Maybe not just daily, but weekly or monthly. Would you call that a rich dwelling place? Would you call that a that your heart became a mansion for the Word of God? Or was it more like a compound or a slum? And so as a church, if we're really going to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ this year, as Peter admonishes us, it's going to come by giving God's Word a rich dwelling place. Look at verse 7 of Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. We have so believed the lie in the garden that somehow God is keeping His best from us. That will be seen in how we define the word sin. When you hear the word sin, what do you think of? Do you think, oh, it's all those things that I can find incredible pleasure in, but that God has put off limits? Because you need to give a proper definition to sin to understand Is there some pleasure to sin? Yes. It's what makes it attractive. It's what makes it enticing. Is that pleasure long-term? Absolutely not. So it's not that God is keeping His best from us. He's protecting us from that which will lead us into destruction and only give this fleeting sense of pleasure when God actually wants to give to us Long-term, full pleasure. So the same lie that Satan came in and gave to Adam and Eve in the garden. See, God surely knows something. He knows that the day you eat of it, see, He just crept into their mind and they believed the lie. The lie is this. 
that somehow God's Word is keeping us from the really good, enjoyable things in life. When actually by faith we realize that the goodness of God and the love of God, it is actually through His Word where we find the deepest and longest satisfying joy there is. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. It's complete. It has no defect, no error. And here's what it does. Reviving the soul. Now, some of you entered a new year weary. It's not really just physical weariness, but it's a weariness that even after you get really good sleep, you're still tired. You know what God's Word does? It revives you. Brings you back to life. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Verse 7 It's trustworthy. How many things in this life are trustworthy? Can you write ten things down on a piece of paper that were trustworthy in 2016? Okay, my laptop was not trustworthy. The delete key stopped working, the number one key stopped working, and the A key stopped working. You know how often I use those? Okay. Are relationships always trustworthy? Very thankful for the faithful friends God has gifted me with. They're rare, folks. Treasure them and nurture them. But not all relationships are trustworthy. How many things are really trustworthy? Toyota Sienna that we drive, not completely trustworthy. Okay, it needed some attention this year. But do you know what is trustworthy? Do you know what you can actually lean on and it will always support you? The testimony of the Lord. The word testimony, the root word comes from craftsman. Somebody who builds something that is sure to endure, sure to withstand, sure to support. You want a good craftsman to build your home because there's a lot of weight over your head. Do you know what is sure, what is, what is guaranteed never to collapse? The testimony of the Lord. That's what Psalm 19 is saying. And look at what it does. Verse 7, the latter part. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. Now, I have a word for simple people this morning. You don't know you're simple. Because you're still naive. And the reason I know that is because later on in the New Testament, the Bible, the Bible is going to tell us that those who have their discernment exercised by eating the meat of the Word are the ones who can tell between good and evil. Simple people don't know the difference between good and evil. That's why it's the fool that mocks sin. I mean, it's fun. And it's the fool, the simple person, who wanders. But do you know what the testimonies of the Lord do? This craftsman in the Word builds up a sure support and it makes naive people wise. It makes simple people Wise. The Apostle Paul wrote this about the Scriptures. He says in 2 Timothy 3.15, The sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Salvation is found in the sacred writings. What it teaches us about Jesus Christ. Look at verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right. Now, before we go much further, 
this is what's going to stand out. It's not necessarily the nouns that are the emphasis in Psalm 19, 7 through the end of the chapter, but it's the verbs. It's not just that I know the commandments. I know the precepts. I've memorized the testimonies. Yes, that's going to be important. We're going to see that in Psalm 119 where I've stored up God's word in my heart. But it's not just about the nouns. It's about the verbs. It's about this is what the scriptures do. That's why we're talking about the value and benefit of God's word. What do the scriptures do? They make naive people wise. They make withered souls come back to life. It revives the soul. It's the verbs. It's the consequences. The commandment, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Look at verse 8. Look at the emotional state of this person's heart. The precepts of the Lord are righteous. They give right directions in a crooked world. And that's disappointing. When you believe the lie of Satan and you wander, that's disappointing. But you know what God's Word does? They're right. They give proper directions in a crooked generation. And that brings rejoicing of the heart. Let me ask you, what is, what is the emotional state of your heart right now on the very first day of a new year? Because you know what God's Word does? You know one of the benefits of God's Word? It rejoices the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Verse 8, it's sincere, enlightening the eyes. So not only is it like a craftsman, is it trustworthy, it's genuine, it's sincere. Have you ever had somebody that, that flattered you and you already knew ahead of time that, that they wanted something from you and the first thing, it didn't matter what you were wearing that day, they were going to compliment it? Right? Like, hey, I really like that on you. But you already know there's something waiting to happen, and now you're, you're sort of step back and you're cautious. God's Word doesn't do that. It's sincere. It is without hypocrisy. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 2, like newborn infants long for the pure, some translations have sincere, the pure, sincere, Spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is what the sincere Word of God does. It reveals to you accurately who God is. So it grows you up into salvation and it is pure and thereby it enlightens the eyes. The effect of God's Word is purity and light, illumination. Look at verse 9. The fear of the Lord reverential fear of the Lord is clean. It's free from impurity and thereby can lead to moral purity. And it endures forever. This kind of purity endures even when the corrupt things of the world have decayed and perished. Reverential fear. That's the beginning of wisdom. That's the beginning. And it leads to purity. The fear of the Lord is clean Enduring forever, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Do you desire justice and equity? Have you been the recipient of evil people or evil designs or malicious intent? 
Do you know where you find justice and equity? The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Look at verse 10. Therefore they are more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. It's interesting how this, this section of the psalm talks about delight, reward, desire. Now, our source of treasure may be similar. Gold, right? That communicates. But we don't really understand the drippings of a honeycomb. So we're going to have to sort of replace that into like a modern paraphrase with our go-to source of sweetness. I don't know what yours is. But, you know, after you eat a real savory meal and you're, you're desiring something sweet, what is that thing? What is it that you think about? Maybe, it, maybe it's a late-night Krispy Kreme run. Right? For some of you, that's too sweet. You're going to go to another. For you, it's ice cream. Or for you, it's something even more mild. Okay? But what is your go-to sweetness, that thing that is satisfying? Okay? Do you know when you properly understand the Scriptures and when you apply them and you experience the effects of them, the reviving of the soul, the wisdom, the maturity, the growth, the purity, the reverence, It's more to be desired than jewelry and gold and cars, and it's more to be desired and satisfying than anything sweet you can imagine. But for some of us, that's not ever been our experience, has it? The Word has just never been like that to us. And so we're going to pray as a church that this year would be that year. That this year we would... Let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly and it would be more to be desired than gold, yea, than much fine gold, and sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. That that would be our experience this year because then we will know true delight. Psalm 19 then provides a benefit and a value. Look at verse 11. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, In keeping them there is what? Great reward. You see, in Genesis 3, we saw how easily the human heart was seduced by another voice. The tempter. God warned Adam and Eve not to eat of the fruit of the tree. And now God warns in His law of the illusory and temporal gratifications of sin. By them we are warned. And in keeping them there is great reward. Therefore, we pray this prayer. Look at verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. There's a great prayer to enter a new year with. Turn with me now to Psalm 119. We're only going to look at three verses. Psalm 119. And this section is going to begin with a question, and immediately the psalmist will answer it. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? Okay. The answer? By guarding it according to your word. Now, there's going to be what is called an inclusio, and that simply means a bracket that's going to include ideas between the main point 
And there is an inclusio between verses 9 and 16. And, and here's the idea. If you look down at verse 16, it reads this. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So, he, so here's the idea of what we're about to look at. I will guard my life according to your word. And by guarding my life according to your word, I will not forget your word. Okay, let's look at this. Verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? Now, there's going to be different Hebrew words for the word word. Let me repeat that. There's going to be different words used in this small section for the word word. This word, debar, is, is, is the expressed mind and will of God. So how can a young person keep their way pure? Okay, by guarding it, by keeping it according to the expressed will of God. Okay, so I'm going to walk in the way of God's will. His mind has been expressed to me. Living according to God's will, His word, is a very practical matter, as we've already seen in Psalm 19. Here again, the emphasis is not so much on the nouns, your word, as on the psalmist verbs. And we're going to look at this in the next three verses. I seek, I have stored up, I declare, I delight, I will meditate, I will fix my eyes, I will delight, I will not forget. It's a very willful, volitional commitment to God's Word. The regular meaning of the word heart, will, and the word seek, look at verse 9 again, or look at verse 16. I will delight in your statutes, I will not forget your word. Then go back to verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? Keep reading verse 10. With my whole heart, an undivided heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. It's volitional. A deliberate directing towards God. That's the word heart and the word seek. We deliberately follow. We're going to commit to these things. And that is in contrast now to the word wander. Let me not wander. And I, I understand the phrase that, that not all who wander are lost. How many of you have seen that? It's a popular Colorado motto. Not all who wander because we wander into the mountains. We wander to the ski hills. Right? We wander to the fishing streams. Not all who wander are lost. I understand that. But spiritually, if you wander from God's Word, the end to that path is destruction. You will be lost. That's why verse 10, with my whole heart. Once again, wholeheartedness is stressed. The double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. With my whole heart I seek you. This is a prayer. Let me not wander from your commandments. So here's the question. Are you moving towards God and seeking Him? Or are you wandering away? There is no neutrality. The illusion of neutrality is the path of destruction. Don't just think, well, I can get by. I'm in a Christian home. Mom and Dad read the Word. I get, I get a lot of Word on Sunday. I mean, I can call up a few scriptures. That's not undivided, wholehearted, seeking God. If that's the case, you've already started to wander. So the prayer is, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. 
So here is the greatest defense from wandering. Look at verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is a different word for word. It's not the general expressed will of God. These are specific written statements. Utterance. Word. Saying. It's similar to the word Torah. So here is, I have stored up not just a general knowledge of your will, God, but I have stored up specific utterances. It's similar to Romans 10 where it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, the passage that Pastor Matt read for us in John 1 uses the word logos. Jesus Christ is the logos. He's the full representation of the word. But in Romans 10, when it says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, it's a different word. It's not the word logos. It's the word rhema. Faith comes by specific statements of God's word. And it's those specific statements in Psalm 119 that we store up in our heart. It's not talking about volume. There are people who have memorized large portions of God's Word, but they obey very little of it. The person who knows a little bit and has stored it up and has willed, who has made the decision to seek God and obey what they know, is better off than the person who has memorized the entire New Testament. So it's not just about volume. It's a very practical matter. It's on these verbs, this seeking, this doing, this hiding and storing up. Look at verse 12. Because storing up God's Word in our heart is the greatest preservative from sin, the psalmist says, Blessed are you, O Lord. Worthy are you, Lord, to receive our undivided worship with an undivided heart. And then he prays again. Teach me your statutes. Notice the humility there. A willingness to learn more and obey more. Verse 13. It's not just about hiding it and storing it in our heart. What's the next verb? I mean, look at it. Look at verse 13. What's the next response? So it's not just that we, that, that we do information download Sunday morning and we keep it to ourselves. Yes, we store up His Word in our hearts so that we might not sin against Him, but what does the psalmist do next? Verse 13. With my lips... I declare the rules of your mouth. So what God says, we will say to others. We gather, then we scatter with the word. We learn, obey, then we share. 2017 would be a great year to start this if you haven't already. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 5. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you still need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Lord, I seek you with an undivided heart. Teach me your ways. Blessed are you, God. With my lips, I will declare all the rules of your mouth. I will go out and I will share this with other people. Jesus taught this in Mark chapter 4. He said to them, Is a lamp 
brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Jesus asks a question about the placement. By the way, the little tiny clay oil lamp is uh, one of the most often found artifacts in Israel. It's a very common household item. And Jesus is simply asking about the placement. What do you do with a lamp? What do you do with this? Right, they didn't have light switches. this This was the source of light in the home. So what do you do with the source of light? Do you come in and put it down on the table and put a basket over it? No, you just hid the light. It doesn't benefit anyone if that's what you do with the light. Okay, the loss of light follows putting it under a basket. Do you put it under a bed? So now you've gone into a room that is a little more private, and if you put it under the bed, it's now secret. It's in isolation. And again, in a very real sense, the light is now hidden from its original purpose. Or, Jesus says, do you put it on a stand? And then it'll give illumination to the whole house. So here's the purpose of the light from the lamp. It's not to be hidden. It's not to be kept in secret. But it's supposed to illumine everyone who dwells there. Listen to what Jesus says next. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. Nor is anything secret, right? The basket and the bed. Nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. The purpose of the light, and Jesus is the light of the world. Men lived in darkness. Jesus came to illumine the world, and he's telling the disciples, I have not come for just an elite group of followers. But this light now is not supposed to be put under a basket for your own to be extinguished or under the bed for your own personal use. It is supposed to illumine everyone in the dwelling place. It's the very same thing that Jesus is telling the disciples that the psalmist says, I will share these things. I will proclaim your truths to others. I will not hide it. Next verse, Psalm 119, verse 14. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. You see the comparison of Psalm 19? More to be desired than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Here he talks about delight again. What did you delight in in the last seven days? And why did you delight in it? This afternoon, we, I will delight in pork and sauerkraut. It's our traditional New Year's meal. But there are people that do not like sauerkraut. Like not sour sauerkraut. Sweet sauerkraut? Sour sauerkraut, that's a delight with pork. Okay, but, but some of my kids aren't going to share the same delight I have. So I can't tell them, you need to delight in this because it's good. Well, you that's not how delight works, is it? Delight is when you find satisfaction in it, right? Those flavors mixed together. Um, so what did you delight in? How long has it been since you've delighted in God's Word since you've opened it up in the morning and something unexplainable happens as you read his words and there is a very real, true, spiritual communion with him. Yes, through black words on a white page, but it's more than that. It's the Spirit of God taking his word, revealing to us himself. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. 
Therefore, look what he does. Verse 15. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. I will guard my life according to your word. And by doing so, I will not forget your word. So is it any wonder that our Lord prays in John 17, 17, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Would you take time this morning as we sing a transition hymn? We're going to sing about the power of the cross, right? Because there is no communion without union. And our union is with Christ in His death and resurrection. But what follows that is a tremendous communion with Him in Christ by the indwelling power of His Holy Spirit through His written Word. That's why Jesus said, sanctify them, make them holy by Your Word. Your Word is truth. Would you take time during this to pray and ask God to adjust your thinking and desires and life to His Word, to let the words of Christ dwell in you richly.